0: daily dose.
1: Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Friday, January 7th, 2022. This is episode number 189. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour and Conference, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and cannabis's favorite grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Join us and over 21,000 State of Cannabis Hour members if you wanna be an audience participant. Otherwise, please sub- subscribe to support our show. Today we're talking about cannabis sales in Oregon, Oklahoma cultivators neighbor calls Rico and we're not talking Rico Lamite. The FDA green a CBD treatment study, a Cura Leaf lawsuit update, Ten billion and counting coming in from state uh, states adult use cannabis taxes, the first ever CBD commercial on major TV networks, Utah relaxing rules for incoming cadets, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full sixty minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up on the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you may hear this sound. I'm going to start off the show today with my story, um, because I want to make sure it gets in. It comes from KGW8. And the headline is 2021 cannabis sales, border crossing weed buyers made this Oregon County number one. So, Malheur County is a northeast county in Oregon and has a little tip that kind of goes into Idaho. It's really close to Boise. Its uh, cannabis sales were on fire in 2021 because of weed-deprived Idaho, according to this article. Combined adult use and medical sales topped $111 million in the county, or $3,477 for each of its nearly 32,000 residents. Curry County in southwestern Oregon was a distant second at $540 per resident. So here's a little history on Idaho. In 1927, Idaho outlawed cannabis. The mayor of Boise gave this reason. The Mexican beet field workers have introduced a new problem, the smoking in cigarettes or pipes of marijuana or Griffo. Its use is as demoralizing as the use of narcotics he said. Smoking grifo is quite prevalent along the Oregon Short Line Railroad, and Idaho has no law to cope with the use and spread of this dangerous drug. Beginning of prohibition. Then, in 2013, the Idaho legislature preemptively approved a statement of their opposition to ever legalizing cannabis. State Bill 1146A, which would have legalized CBD oil for persons with severe epilepsy, passed in the Idaho legislature following lengthy and emotional hearings, but was vetoed by Governor Butch Otter in April 2015. In April, on April 16th, after a 44 to 26 vote in the House and a 30 to 5 vote in the Senate, Little signed House Bill 126 legalizing the production and transportation of hemp with up to 0.3% THC content, making Idaho the final state to legalize the crop after it was legalized federally in 2018. It's legal for Idahoans to buy cannabis in Oregon, although they can't legally take it back to Idaho. They may get a ballot initiative in uh, 2022, which would legalize possession. The question about this article that we have is how do they exactly know that sales are coming from Idahoans? Uh, I think it's an easy assumption, and the answer is, Nicole, what do we need to do? Deschedule or bust. Yeah, that's my headline. Anybody got any comments on Oregon's sales?
2: I feel like this happens in every state, and if you you know watch as the legalization happens in new and up and coming markets, I think that this happens. Uh, you know, it's been happening especially in places that have any southern bordering states. Oregon had a lot. I mean, and in in reality, when we're having the conversation of the adult use, it's not that hard to see when you're looking at you know the IDs coming from out of state that a lot of people are coming in. You know, as Canada tourists, um, and I could definitely see. That being probably um, the bordering states, you know, there was a joke about uh, there was a dispensary that got opened in uh, Blythe uh, here in California. And uh, our running joke was it's the best dispensary in Arizona. Um, and if anybody knows uh, where Blythe is, it's actually in California. Um, so, it, it, you know, the the reality of that bordering state really will continue to be a, a situation until we fully
1: deschedule or bust.
3: Deschedule or bust.
1: Yeah, and it's funny that – go ahead. Go ahead, Jason. I just thought
0: it was awesome that you used the language of just the tip.
1: I put that in there just for you, (laughs) Jason. I like it too. Yeah. We just want to see how it feels.
3: It's been so long. (laughs)
1: All right. Up next is Nicole West. She is a cannabis business specialist, part-time firefighter and cat herder, and director of operations at LB Atlantis. Her superpowers are overcoming obstacles and challenges with unstoppable energy. She's also an amazing daughter, friend, and activist. What's your headline today, Nicole?
2: So originally, I was going to report on the snitches putting a RICO Act against some cultivators in Oklahoma. These were just some property owners that were coming and trying to utilize RICO to show that the people that were growing on this farm were growing a federally illegal substance. Uh, But I realized the article was just a little bit lackluster. So I talk about something that I think is really interesting right now. Which is, trusting today's cannabis industry, well, there's a lot of mislabeled products, including Delta 6A, 10A, and more. want to know what Delta 6A is real complicated uh so what is delta 6a 10a thc well it was also known as it's also known as delta 3 thc and it's a synthetic isomer of delta 9 that was developed along with some other similar compounds to establish different versions of thc that could easily avoid patent problems and issues with shelf life stability other chemical names for delta 6a 10a thc include delta 3 cannabiniol two and there's a whole lot host of other chemical names that I'm not going to go down and butcher, um, but contrary to what some companies are saying, Delta 6A, 10A is not the same as Delta 10. Delta 6A, 10A products are often mislabeled as one form of Delta 10 or Delta 6, neither of which is accurate. Whether this is due to incorrect label, lab test results, inc- incompetence, or the company's p- on the company's part, or an intentional false advertising remains to be answered. As devoid of sense in the situation, the main thing to focus on is that if you do feel like you want to give Delta 6A, 10A, THC a try. At the very least, don't buy it from companies that are promoting it as Delta-10 or Delta-6, or anything other than the chemical names that have been listed above. Delta-10 THC is a synthetic crystalline compound formed when certain chemical catalysts are applied to Delta-9 THC, moving the double bond over the 10th carbon chain. Delta-6, another synthetic isomer, is quite potent, but not yet being used in products It is not the same thing as Delta-6A10A either. Okay, so what exactly, what is going on with all of these cannabinoids? It's decent questions, fake lab tests, and mislabeled products as part of these problems. So now back to the subject of mislabeled products and incorrect or completely falsified labs. There are narratives being played out in the media just because from the 2018 Farm Bill provisions that any cannabis product that contains less than 0.3% Delta-9 THC is legal, regardless of what else is in it. Well, when it comes to minor cannabinoids, THC isomers, cannabinoid analogs, and so forth, most of them are actually illegal, regulated under the Federal um, Analogs Act as mentioned above. Obviously, pointing out the legality of a product is not uh, if it's not legal at all, is not the best business strategy. So to be able to continue pushing said products, the story is perpetuated that they are permissible by some type of legal loophole when that's just not the case. Since these products are illegal and no and there are no standards in place to regulate them, a growing number of companies resorting to some unscrupulous means provide lab results in an attempt to validate their black market products. Real legitimate lab testing is the backbone of any cannabis market, and all products sold at licensed dispensaries are required to undergo testing from a state... Uh, accredited facility to confirm the levels of cannabinoids and terpenes, as well as to test for heavy metals, mycotoxins, residual pesticides, microbials, and any other unwanted con- contaminants. Now, this is a bit of a, a pain point that I've been going over regularly the conversation of Delta-8 and all these other isomers that are on the market, um, that we're having the this continuum of a problem because there is no regulation in what's happening outside of the actual regulated cannabis market. And there's a bunch of people that are carpetbagging this industry, trying to create different versions of things to get people high, utilizing chemical processes to get through cannabinoid isomerization. Now, I definitely want to make sure that people are aware that this is happening. Super close attention when we're reading these different in these products so whether you're shopping for delta 8 cbd thco regular weed or even delta ca 10a thc it's imperative that you do so and you do as much research as you can you'll be inhaling these compounds straight into your lungs So you want to make sure that they're as clean and safe as possible. Don't blindly trust companies selling to you. Obviously, they're more concerned with their bottom dollar than your health. I'm not saying to avoid these products entirely because some of them may be high quality and some of them may be being made by manufacturers that have an extreme ethical line that they're making sure these products are made to the top quality. But make sure that you're an informed consumer before rushing to try the newest flavor of the month, cannabinoid. As far as Delta 6A10AC is concerned, no one really knows enough about it to say whether it's 100% certainty that this products can that products containing this are safe. I'm sure the compound itself is perfectly fine if it's manufactured by a trained professional, that is. But if you're buying the stuff from companies who are completely misrepresenting this compound, it's hard to say what else is on the not on the level or not uh, up to quality in that package. So I just wanted to say, keep an eye out and make sure that we're not just going for that cannabinoid of the month. And I'm Nicole West reporting for the State of Cannabis News.
1: You know, I get so upset when people confuse the consumers. I mean, we we did a story earlier this week about how uh, consumers don't even care if their product is lab tested. And that's, in my opinion, because they're not educated, because they don't know. How do... How do how do consumers even, I don't understand what Delta 6 and Delta 10A, what are we doing to the poor consumers? They've got to be so confused.
2: I mean, there's such little education and people are just coming out with a new product and doing some, you know, advertorial on what that is and what it looks like. Uh, You know, when we're having the conversation of Delta 6A, 10A, I wasn't even fully aware that there was two different ones. So I had to go down a deep, dark rabbit hole to read about this. And turns out, People are regularly mislabeling Delta-6 or Delta... Six, six A, ten A as Delta six, um, and it, you know, as we're watching and realizing, there's uh, a product that just uh, came out. I was going to do the uh, uh, headline the other day, but it was a total advertorial. But there's a new cannabinoid that they're saying is thirty times more potent than Delta nine. So we need to be really paying attention as this evolves, because if we have a cannabinoid that's thirty times more potent than Delta nine, and it's technically in people's minds unregulated and it's being sold in gas stations, we've got a real fucking problem. We're going to a- absolutely end up with egg on our faces in industry. What does more potent mean, though? It actually has uh, 30 times more psychotropic effects. So it's 30 times higher, according to the the article that I was reading. I I only was able to find two articles. There was uh, one research uh, tying back to Israel, but there wasn't a ton of information on it. Um, But there's, you know, legend to be said that there's a cannabinoid that could be 30 times more psychotropic than Delta 9.
4: Yeah, I think the other problem, Nicole, is that these are untested. The thing about our cannabis industry is we do have the anecdotal evidence of safety around flour and basic cannabis products. When we start to get into these isomers without university testing, I dare say without pharma like testing, we don't know what we're getting into. And these things at gas stations, never mind somebody could be so high, they might do something stupid. They might also get themselves into physical trouble. And then it does blow back on the entire industry, as you indicated. So it's really important that if we're going to have a regulated environment, all Cannabinoids should be regulated, properly tested, and controlled so that the industry doesn't suffer because one person has a problem with any kind of THC, we all suffer. Same thing with CBD for that matter. These unregulated cannabinoids are just not good. And
2: I'm down to take cannabinoids, but I need to know what I'm taking. I I always tell people, if you give me drugs that I don't know, then I'm mad. But if you're, you know, I, I'm interested to try these things, but I definitely do think that it's concerning that people are trying products and we don't even have any concept of what we're actually And trying.
5: even if it's prepared safely, we don't, this compound doesn't uh, occur in the plant in large amounts like that if it occurs at all. I mean, I'm really just first now hearing about THC 6A. Um, so, you know, it, it, even if you can produce it, it does it show up in the plant in the same ratio it's like what what are we doing just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should 100 not plant medicine
1: slow the roll man slow the roll let's let's get the plant out there first right right all right i think we're at time on that so up next is rico Lamite. he likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask the self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is also a superstar at cracking dad jokes find him on tedx or at one of his Cannavision events but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the state of cannabis news hour what's your headline today rico
3: My headline's a good one just uh, to come right after Nicole, actually. So it's coming out of um, the Regina uh, Leader Press, and it's a U.S. company, claims it is first. It is going to be the first to air CBD commercial on major TV networks. So it seems like just yesterday, the year was 2019, and we were rounding out our second year of legalization here in California, and everything in the cannabis industry seemed like it was going to be great. Uh, Local favorite brand, Lowell Herb Company made huge headlines when they announced that they'd be doing the unthinkable. Tapping the latest Disney star turned batty and noted cannabis enthusiast Bella Thorne for the industry's first cannabis ad to be run during Super Bowl uh, L111. I have no idea what that number is. Is it a 53? Uh, of course, perhaps uh, what may have been a leading indicator of more bullshit to come in both cannabis and mainstream America, too, the commercial was nixed. The NFL wasn't ready to cede precious commercial airtime to a weed company that had surely pried their fans' and fans' eyes and pockets away from the 75% spend on opioids and alcohol ads uh, in the biggest television event of the year. So it was shelved. We haven't really heard much about cannabis companies making progress on the national ad front since. Maybe CBD will be the bridge needed to warm the censors up. According to the Regina Leader Press, RealtestedCBD.com, a U.S. company claiming to help consumers better understand CBD by comparing various related product claims, has become the first to air a CBD commercial on major television networks, emphasizing that it still uh, distills facts from fallacies about CBD usage. Uh, CBD uh, RealtestedCBD.com announced it aired its first CBD commercial promoting their lab-tested information on January 3rd. Uh, 32nd spot promoting the benefits of using Its services was added uh, and aired to Las Vegas, Denver, and San Diego CBS and uh, CBS and ABC affiliate stations. Uh, The article says that commercials are scheduled to run through March 25th and are seeking to help consumers navigate the exploding hemp-derived CBD realm. Steve Townsend, the website's Times. As CBD becomes more in common, the ultimate goal for RealtestedCBD.com is to educate everyone about CBD and squash the myths. Right now, there aren't many rules and regulations as to who can create a CBD brand or sell CBD products, and it's difficult to, for consumers to distinguish the good brands and products from the bad. And he's got the data to back it up, too. Invisibility's real-time research survey from 2021 found that 58% of respondents reported they did not know the difference between CBD and THC-containing products. Probably because of the rise of Delta-8 is even mucking up those waters even more. Real-time CBD.com's platform provides free t- uh, tested lab results from some of the most popular CD- CBD products on the U.S. market uh, using data from their independent earth labs in California, which lets those interested in using CBD products know of its origins, how accurate label claims are, and whether or not it passed pesticide screening. Currently, the website has more than uh, 350 CBD reviews of over-the-counter products. Say what you will about the CBD side of the cannabis industry and how it's been regulated or not, Uh, following Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell's totally thorough and not connected to any of their own business interests 2018 hemp bill, Uh, but I think that for a company like this leading the way with education and data-backed information and putting it out in a nationally televised commercial is a huge win for all of us. It's no doubt... Uh, Something that uh, the federal and state governments should have done first, especially if they claim to care so much about protecting the children and um, elderly from misinformation. But, hey, I'll take it. Maybe we'll be able to see a Bella Thorne weed ad being run during the Super Bowl sooner than we think. And maybe it'll be twice as good as the original Lowell ad was back in 2019 featuring um, just Bella Thorne. Maybe this one will be co-starring her new bestie, Abella Danger. Maybe. Here's Rico Lameet, the dopest dad on the street, closing out 2022's first week, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Back to you, Susan and Nicole.
2: I didn't know who Bella Thorne was at all until I went to a party at her house in L.A., and it was fucking crazy. And I was like, who is this person? And I Googled her. Um, I, it's, it's interesting that she's so famous. I had no concept.
3: I didn't know who she was until um, I was tapped to help her throw a cannabis uh, sponsored party at Coachella uh, three years ago either. But uh, I was pretty fucking
4: big. Can we just comment on like, while I'm all about education, I, I really don't believe in CBD only companies. I believe in cannabis companies. I believe in the entourage effect. And while CBD is super effective, I think it's more effective in the presence of its sister cannabinoids. And we should be looking to educate people on mixed right ratios for whatever ailments and Every time we isolate and separate a cannabinoid just because it's legal, we do ourselves a disservice. And right now, these are, as we talked about in the last article, these unregulated cannabinoids are the bane of the legalized industry because they're unregulated and could blow back on us. We need this cannabis industry to be one unified industry where we're talking and educating on all cannabinoids and their efficacy, especially as they work together. I just wanted to make that comment. I appreciate that they're trying to do education, though, and I appreciate the national platform I do.
1: Yeah,
3: okay. Amen. I'm good to have you back, me Too. Welcome back, brother.
6: Thanks, fam. Go ahead,
1: Chemo. You got the last word.
6: Oh yeah, I was just gonna say I was at that same party as Nicole, and I got at her house and I got drugged with GHB. Shit was wild. Nice. That was.
2: That was a crazy party. Uh, All right. Well, speaking of crazy parties, up next we have Mr. Jason Beck. Jason's the longest-running retailer in cannabis U.S. history and a crazy party himself, the cannabis industry's very own Kaiser Brose. What do you have for us today, Jason?
0: Oh, thank you so much, Nicole. Today, my uh, story comes out of Oklahoma, where everything may not be okay on the horizon. My headline reads, The Second Petition Filed to Legalize Recreational Cannabis in Oklahoma. Oklahomans could see uh, on the ballot this year competing state questions to legalize adult use cannabis. A second initiative uh, petition to legalize adult use cannabis in, in Oklahoma for anyone 21 years or older was filed Tuesday with the secretary of state's office. Campaign spokeswoman Michelle Teeley said that this measure is a new version of a recreational cannabis initiative petitioned. She helped with two years helped with two years ago. That petition, state question eight oh seven, did not make it on the statewide ballot party because uh, because the start of the COVID-19 pandemic made it difficult to collect signatures. More GOP lawmakers proposed bills to ensure doctors serve on Oklahoma's Health Care Authority Board. This is an effort that, that started several years ago but has grown, she said, We have a broad coalition of Oklahomans, small business owners, small growers, users, and criminal justice reform people as well. Similar to an initiative uh, petition filed in October by Oklahomans for responsible cannabis action, the latest proposal details a framework for adult use sales, uh, seeks to impose a 15% excise tax on adult use sales, and includes a criminal justice element that would make a a new law apply retroactively, which would allow some drug offenders to have their convictions reversed and records expunged. Tilly estimates about 60,000 Oklahomans could be helped by the criminal justice reform systems in the petition. But there are some differences between the two proposals. The most recent petition, which would appear as state question 820, um, if it qualifies for the ballot proposes statutory changes to existing state law, if approved, the governor and state lawmakers could modify the adult-use marijuana laws through the legislative process. And uh, more, uh, seven Oklahomans among those arrested uh, over January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Um, that's different from the SQ807 uh, petition Tyley helped with in 2019, which proposed a constitutional amendment to legalize recreational cannabis. Things changed quickly in the marijuana industry, and the Oklahoma legislature has been addressing some of those changes, he said. We feel pretty satisfied that this should be statutory so that it can come up alongside the, the medical program and things can be changed and, and adopted as they need to be versus putting it in the constitution, which would obviously make that a lot more difficult till he said state question. Seven eighty eight, which voters passed to legalize medical cannabis was a statutory question the recreational or adult use uh, marijuana petition proposed by Oklahomans for responsible cannabis action which would appear on the ballot as state question 819 seeks to amend the state's constitution if approved it could only then be altered through another statewide vote of the people however Oklahomans for uh, responsible cannabis action director Jed Green said there are parts of SQ 819 that give lawmakers some leeway to make statutory changes. Well, I'll tell you what, giving lawmakers the ability to make statutory changes doesn't always mean that they're going to happen as we can all see in California. And also too, I'm not that big of a fan of the bill, mainly because of this 15% excise tax, which we already suffer here in California and Oklahoma cannot withstand a 15% excise tax. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis Hour. I
2: don't know. Have you seen how cheap wheat is in Oklahoma right now? Like there's literally, they're selling eighths of flour. I saw at one of the like, Better stores in Oklahoma—they're selling eighths of flour for eleven dollars, like the high-end flour. Um, so, I mean, and, and when I say high-end, I mean high-end for Oklahoma. But still, no, nonetheless, the, there's there's I've seen ounces of flour going out at the s- store level after everything at under a hundred dollars. Um, so, I I would maybe disagree that they can't afford it, but uh, that's just my opinion because of how saturated that market is
7: is is Oklahoma the
0: is way too high.
3: Is Oklahoma going to be the new Oregon with prices?
2: They beat Oregon. They 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 uh literally doubled down on Oregon's race to the bottom.
3: And a lot of people are a lot of people are saying now I have not had Oklahoma wheat, so full disclosure, but a lot of people are saying that Oklahoma wheat is fucking fantastic.
8: Well yeah, all the people that went there from California. <laughs> like, right? Like is that, that's what I'm hearing.
1: Oh, my, one Pretty of my much. friends, one of my friends went there from California and he's having problems with uh, mold. So
2: everyone that moved there was thinking that it was going to be this insane boom. And I was telling everyone the exact same thing, that this is going to be the fastest race to the bottom you've ever seen. And lo and behold, it was.
8: All right. right, we're at. No, I was just going to say cost of living there. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's a tough place is all to say.
3: I could only imagine how cheap it is compared to California. All
0: right, it's so. because of all the tumbleweed out there, Rico.
3: <laughs> yes, indeed. So up next, she's a Master of Divinity Juris Doctorate Graduate Tax Scholar repping Georgetown Law, focusing on cannabis and psychedelics. This taxivist is working to expand safe access, protect religious freedoms and promote social justice in cannabis, psychedelic and tax laws. Up next, we've got Victoria Litman. Victoria, it's Friday. Are you lit, man?
8: Every, every time, Rico, I wish I was more lit. I love the intro. I'm happy to be here. Um, good morning to you in California or wherever you are, and good afternoon from where I am. My story today comes from the Coshocton Tribune, and the headline reads, 38 Companies Want Coshocton Medical Marijuana Dispensary. I'm probably butchering the name. I hope someone will come up. Ohio and let me know how it's actually pronounced. Um, But the article talks about the recent release by the Ohio Board of Pharmacy of all the names and addresses for the almost 1500 applications that they received for 73 dispensary licenses which will be awarded in the coming months. Um, Despite the 1,462 applications, there were only 230 entities that submitted these applications, and 16 of those entities submitted more than 10 applications each. Um, With applications costing $5,000 a pop to Ohio and more to their lawyers per application, it's clear that this is a pay-to-play reality where more money gets more chances of being picked. Um, Cushaw Ohio, is a county towards the middle of the state, with a population of only 36,612 as of the 2020 census, and and is part of a larger district, which includes two other counties, um, which together receives the fifth greatest number of applications in the state. There were 101 of them. Uh, 38 of those 101 were for the county of Coshocton. The winners for the application process will be picked by lottery on Thursday, January 27th, 2022, with a certain number picked per district, um, which again contains a group of counties. So uh, one entity in this lottery submitted the most applications at 73, which at five thousand a pot means that they bet three hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars in the Ohio Cannabis Lottery. According to the article, only one of the 101 applications for a dispensary in the district, including Keshopton, will add to the one existing dispensary there, which was recently sold, sold to an MSO. The old owner of the recently sold dispensary is quoted in the article. He said, our thought was that if we can take this one and apply for more and get two, we could be helping more people than we could with just the one store. And thus continues the vicious booth cycle created by this pay-to-play framework, where in order to be able to afford to expand and compete for more licenses, you have to sell your initial license. <sighs> Another interesting note from this story is the video rental to cannabis dispensary pipeline in Ohio. All of the Choktan companies that applied listed the exact same address, of a closed family video store as their site, and other closed family video locations accounted for 43 applications in Dayton, 32 in Springfield, 31 in Tiffin, and 27 in Delphos. The article says that 10 family video locations were each listed as the site in 20 or more applications. So that's what I have from you from Ohio this morning. At this point, I just can't believe we're still dealing with these bullshit lotteries and legislating for scarcity. And I'm so frustrated when I think about how, mon- how much resources and energy are getting sucked into a lottery in Ohio, which we know will never be a national leader in cannabis cultivation. Um, so anyone from Ohio in the room who wants to weigh in, I'd love to hear from you. Thoughts from any of my fellow correspondents uh, on you know bullshit lotteries, licensing, anything you want. I'm Victoria Litman, State of Cannabis News Hour.
5: When people sub- when entities submit more than one application, are they changing information on their application? So is it so- something different about the application, or is it the exact same application being submitted multiple times?
8: I mean, my impression from reading this, and I haven't looked at the Ohio regs, is that um, it's uh, probably the same. I mean, if it's the same entity, it's the same same business, but you're just paying for another like. P- I mean. I'm not sure anyone else has thoughts on that. I think you can commit. It can, I think it can be the same because it's a lottery. So you're just putting a whole bunch in a metaphorical bucket and picking one out. Although I know Nicole said it used to be an actual bucket, um, some places. So, but my impression is it can be the same
2: in a lot of states and cities. It can't be the same, but i be curious to see what this one actually uh, how it was written.
1: Jaja is up from the audience. You get the final word. We're at time.
5: I just like to say that good morning. I just like to say that that's worse than what's going on in Arizona, because we had 1,506 applications that went in for 26 social equity licenses, and we had MSOs putting in in 300 applications. So we know what that lottery mess looks like.
8: Legislating for scarcity, and it's bullshit, and we should be like revolting against it. (laughs) Thanks for the input.
1: All right. Uh, we have reached the half hour mark in the show, so we're going to quickly relight the room.
0: You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose.
2: The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers.
6: Viewer discretion advised.
1: Let's keep smoking the news.
2: And up next, we have Guy Record. Guy is a legacy legend turned legal when he became the co-founder and president at Papa and Barclay. What do you have for us today, Guy?
4: Thanks, Nicole. Good morning, uh, Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Nico. My article today comes out of Popular Science. Uh, the tasty chemicals flavoring the edibles cannabis boom. And of course, when I uh, first read this, I was like, chemicals, what do they mean? They're talking about terpenes. And I want to start off by first saying I enjoyed this article. It's probably one of the most comprehensive things on terpenes uh, that I've read in a while, so the layman that is. So more Americans are trying weed in a 2021 Gallup poll. 49% of US adults said that they had imbibed a 9% jump over 2015 and double those who would have coped to partaking in the 70s helping this whole thing along, of course, is the boom of edibles from, you know, gummies to chocolates, to social tonics, to infused honeys, all the things that we know, Uh, that that people are making are really fueling the fact that people are eating it. But what about these terpenes? What are they, right? The the article also notes that the cannabis flower itself has all these great flavor potentials from lemon icing to pine needles to grape soda, and even a favorite of the seasoned stoner, gasoline, those gassy strains, right? So these varying uh, terpene compounds that make what cannabis products smell and taste like often, of course, you know, drive the feeling, right? Terpenes, affectionately known as terps, are the rising stars in the cannabis industry as folks start to understand what they do? Um, Emma Chasen, uh had a quote that I like to similar a similar quote that I like to say: "Cannabinoids are the engine of the cannabis experience, and terpenes are more like a steering wheel." I often say cannabinoids are the uh, t- cannabinoids are the engine, and uh, terpenes are you know the steering wheel. Yeah, I mean it's basically the same quote, um, but that is the best way to think of it. You all, it's like THC, CBD, and those ratios have an effect. But what really tweaks that effect and makes it pointed to ailments, whether it's uplifting, whether it's sedative, or whether it's something in the middle, really have to do with the terpenes. We're only... Just starting to crack that, and because federal prohibition has hampered such research, you know, weed bound terpenes are still fairly uh hard to come by in terms of that data, right? We do know simple things like linalool, which is present in lavender, has a, a, a sedative effect and, and anxiety relieving effects, uh, because as lavender and that smell does, the olfactory concept of terpenes is real in that you know, when you smell lemonine, for instance, it's uplifting, citrus is an uplifting smell, and when it's uh you know, imbued in cannabis, we've seen similar effects. Most of that is anecdotal because we really haven't gotten that federal research done. Um, we go on to talk about folks like Max Montrose, shout out to Max at the Trichome Institute. He's developed 4,500 interpeners or graduated 4,500 interpeners. And those are interpreters of terpenes that evaluate cannabis, uh, samples basically on their terpenes and what they do much more than potency the effect uh and and this is similar to like you could have a caffeine pill but you could drink a latte or you could have moonshine you could drink any number of spirits vodka or mezcal and those all have different effects well that is not about the potency of the alcohol it's about the terpenes in the alcohol or in our case the terpenes in cannabis right so this is a great thing um i don't think i have time to go through all the great terpenes they they listed uh whether It's lemonine uh, that is also found in citrus fruits and typically uplifting, or linalool, or pinene, and myrcene, and all the ones that we've come to love, you know, uh, myrcene being found in mangoes and such. But I suggest that everybody who wants to get a better sense of cannabis and start to frame their mind to, A, find these taste points and start to maybe take a terpene journal where you use your different products and when you can taste these terpenes, see how they affect you. See if the tangy really is uplifting. Now, cannabis is a spe- is specific to each user, so your, you know, your results might vary and tangy might be sedative to you for whatever reasons, but I would say trust your nose. And lastly, not in the article, a personal statement. When something is strain specific, that means the terpenes are driving the flavor. So when you go out and get these edibles, look for things that actually have terpenes driving them hopefully terpenes that are coming right from the extract you know so that it's like oh this is a tangy strain and all these terpenes that are normally associated in that flower are driving my gummy driving my chocolate driving whatever edible that might be um i think that brings you closer to the flower and closer to plant-based plant-based medicine that being said there are a lot of providers that are putting you know uh outside of cannabis terpenes to flavor their stuff well what are those terpenes and how do they make us feel The flavor of your edible could literally be determining how that edible makes you feel. In any case, I am Guy Roquette reporting for the State of Cannabis. Uh, I'd love to hear what folks think.
1: Thank you, Guy, for that beautiful report. I suggest everybody click on that link and read the article. But we've got a lot of news to cover, so let's keep smoking the news.
3: Definitely a great story, Dee. Thank you for that one. So she's the co-founder of the International Cannabis Bar Association, Badass mom, and believe it or not, vocal experts have said that she's like a human saxophone siren reading cannabis news headlines each time she's on the air. Coming up next to the stage is Lara DeCaro. What you got for us today, Lara?
9: You're so funny, Rico. Thanks for that. Uh, Well, it's all about the the tip and, and how it makes you feel yeah. adequate protection today, isn't it, guys? I, I'm sensing a theme. Um, my, my story today is a follow-up on the cure Cureleaf drama. Um, it, it is a uh, marijuana giant Cureleaf settles 10 lawsuits over wellness drops tainted with CHC. It's by Mike rogway out of the Oregonian. Um, he is, uh, He starts out, one of the nation's largest marijuana companies has settled 10 lawsuits over their select drops sold in Oregon that were contaminated with, quote, a jumbo dose of THC. Um, This links actually to another article that he wrote back in October, um, where he notes it sent several people to the ER and left one person hospitalized. If you go down the rabbit hole, it looks like that dose of THC per suggested serving was roughly thirty milligrams. So hold on to your hat. Um, he says, "What well, you know? Well, you, you ordinarily, as a lawyer, I need to point out, you ordinarily can't contract someone to stop testifying in court against you or reporting you to the authorities. The terms of most settlements are confidential, intentionally. Um, but apparently, this one Idaho resident from the tip um, <laughs> was." Uh, was paid $50,000 to settle his case, and he went to the ER. He said he wanted the terms of his deal to be public, to raise awareness about the incident, according to the author of the article. Uh, It's not sure if Cureleaf had tried to keep that one under wraps, but all of the other ones have remained confidential. Uh, Apparently, this gentleman who was accidentally dosed said Cureleaf has also not yet apologized to him. At least four other people reported going to the emergency room after using these drops. Um, One newly filed case, the author points out, alleges an Oregon man died as a result of consuming the THC drops. Although the author is careful to point out at the time of his death that this, which happened weeks after the incident, he was also infected with COVID. So um, the terms of the other nine contracts or, i uh, um, sorry, settlement agreements were not disclosed, and all, uh, several cases remain unresolved. Uh, Leaf allegedly sold hundreds of the mislabeled products through their Oregon retailers last year, and the OLCC is still investigating four months later. Um, Careleaf did not want to uh, respond to this article apparently in time, um, and they have just declined to actually specify in the public eye just how it made this mistake or whether it has held anyone accountable at the home office. Um, It's an interesting article. It's just a quick update on things going down in, in Oregon. My name is Laura DeCaro, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour, and I'd love to hear if anybody has any thoughts on that. My
2: personal opinion is every time I've ever hung out back in the day with the select people because this is a select product that's owned by Curaleaf. Uh they've been hot ass messes partying way too fucking hard and not taking any of the shit that we're doing very seriously. Uh, and just my personal opinion, uh, this was negligence. Oh yeah, I mean,
9: yeah. So they're settling multiple suits, but yeah.
3: So, so, is, it, so is this going to be technically the first official cannabis-related death? On the books?
1: No, (laughs) no. no. Omar, Omar, did you want to weigh in? Oh,
6: yeah. I mean, I think this signals uh, the emergence of strict product liability lawsuits. And in strict product liability, you know, it doesn't matter whether somebody's negligence or intentionally did it or not. You know, the company and everybody in the supply chain is responsible. Right. And so, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. I'm a also retailer. curious to how insurance yeah. treats this. It's going to be a really big deal to see how ins- their insurance actually plays out with this. Good luck.
0: So is that going to be is that going to be the prohibitionist new tactic? Is just because weeds in anyone's system, they're going to say that they died from it now? Mm-hmm. But yeah,
2: COVID.
9: yeah, I had, yeah, I had to. Thank you, Rico. Defend that claim in a personal injury
2: oh. years ago all right well thank you so much for that story lara um oh whoa the ptr has gotten so changed right now hold on uh okay yes up next we have christopher smith christopher smith is the communication strategist and the publisher of the american cannabis report what do you have for us today happy
1: clubhouse birthday christopher
10: isn't it funny that we've been on here a year already and how much has gone on quite amazing uh Good morning, uh, thank you very much for the, for the intro, Nicole, and good morning, Susan and Rico. Um, my story today is, uh, is fairly straightforward, but a good one from the Canadian publication, The Growth Op, uh, US FDA Greenlights criti- uh, Clinical Trial Focused on Treating Opioid Addiction with CBD. Uh, quote, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has approved a clinical trial for CBD-based drug to treat opioid use disorder, Ananda Scientific, which operates out of Col- uh, California and Colorado, announced that Nanthea ATL5, that's their product name, uh, will be studied at the Jane and Terry Semmel Institute for Neuroscience and Human Behavior at um, the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. Um, Ananda Scientific is an interesting uh, company, kind of like a pharma company, Really, it's a hemp-focused company. It's conducted more than ten studies in the last five years. Has seven patents. Has trials ongoing or planned for neuropathic pain, opioids, diabetes, schizophrenia, inflama- inflammatory bowel disease, PTSD, and cardiovascular disease? They they show seven key personnel on their website and eight board members, and only one of those 15 men and women does not have an advanced degree. The rest have up to four, including PhDs. Um, as for the Semmel Institute, you re- may remember Terry Semmel. Um, he was the head of Warner Brothers for years, and then he took the lead role at uh, Yahoo uh, before he got run out for making too much money. In fact, he made so much money that now has an institute in his his name at UCLA, and he's still alive. Um, The Semmel Institute is highly integrated with UCLA David Geffen School of Medicine, Department of Psychiatry, and the Resnick Neuropsychiatric Hospital. Um, And Resnick uh, was a billionaire. He was the founder of Palm Wonderful and Fiji Water. Uh, so if you want to file all the money in L.A., you just look on the buildings at UCLA. So opioids are a personal sort of uh, boogeyman monster. For me, not only did opioids kill 100,000 Americans last year, but addiction is reported to begin in as little as five days, so anything, I think, that can be done to get people off of opioid medication will save lives. Among the studies that are indicated in the article um, are uh, uh, 2,000... uh, well, last year's study set to publish in the Journal of Applied Health Economics and Health Policy that found that legalizing cannabis has led to a marked decline in the volume of opioids uh, prescribed across Canada. And the study found that le- following legalization, total monthly opioid spending by public payers fa- fell from $267,000 per month to $95,000 per month. So almost two-thirds Reduction and that the average dose also declined from 23 milligrams to 4.1 milligrams, so a, an 80% reduction. And I think all this is great, of course, to reduce opioids, but um, does anyone know in the room whether uh, the Canadian healthcare system pays for cannabis as medicine? Otherwise, this is coming out of pocket. A uh, 2020 study published in the journal, journal of Health Economics found that increasing access to low-THC, high-CBD products in Italy... Led to a significant decrease in the number of dispensed anxiolotics, sedatives, and antipsychotics. And a 2019 study in the Journal of Pain, which was the name of my diary in middle school, showed that for patients with chronic pain, medicinal cannabis was associated with a 64% drop in opioid use, decreased number of side effects of medication, and an improved quality of life in 45% of the cases of the test. Uh, the the test people. Um, so I'd be curious from uh, to hear from anyone in the room about how good is cannabis at replacing opioids in terms of what opioids are supposed to do, really uh, killing pain. Uh, how effective is cannabis at doing that?
5: Well, Chris, I laughed at your your Journal of Pain uh, comment, mm-hmm. but it, it is very effective. And I want to applaud the FDA for joining the party. Um, however, Irish physician Dr. William O'Shaughnessy. Observed physicians in India treating opium addiction over one hundred and eighty years ago. I'm Dr. Felicia reporting for the State of Canvas News Hour.
4: Yeah. You know, there's a, I have to just mention Dr. Eidelman who's on Cahuenga. He's been a pot doc for a while, but part of his practice was also helping folks in Hollywood get off opioids using cannabis. And this is going back, I mean, when I first started in the game back in the mid nineties, you know, so there's a lot of folks that have been doing it. You know, I appreciate the formalization of it, but like, yeah, it's, it's to me pretty clear that cannabis can offset the use of some of these heavier pharma things.
11: You know, I you know what I think is really interesting, um, and I'll be really quick, Susan. It's just how we look at education in the space of cannabis, which is very important. It's important to have doctors, lawyers, and educated peoples. But uh, what 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 he and and I think what Dr. Felicia have pointed out so eloquently is that a lot of this industry and the medicine. Is not founded in what is a traditional American Western academic
3: education. Agreed. So, our next correspondent does it all. Not only is he the founder of a boutique transactional cannabis law firm, a legal publisher, author, Gangier, but also a, pr- a practitioner of high style Brazilian jujitsu. So, you better not fuck up the rotation around this guy or he will fuck you up.
6: <laughs> Omar Guerrero, what you got for <laughs> us today, my brother? Hey, happy Friday. My story is from Fox 13, Utah by Ben Winslow. The headline is, New Cannabis Guidelines Issued for Utah Police Cadets. The agency that certifies and disciplines police officers in Utah will no longer put a waiting limit on cadets who apply to be emergency dispatchers if they've used cannabis in a place where it's legal. But cadets who want to become gun-carrying officers will still have to wait at least a year from the last time they used. Quote, As this becomes more prevalent, people choose it for pain over opiates. Frankly, in my opinion, it's a better choice. End quote, said Draper Mayor Troy Walker, who serves on the council. But Davis County Sheriff Kelly Sparks said the overall issue was more about their obedience to the law. Currently, Post draws a line in the sand for police officers and cadets on medical cannabis, which is legal in Utah, because the agency looks to federal firearms laws. The Utah State Legislature has repeatedly said it intended medical cannabis to be treated like any other prescription drug. It's illegal to use while high, but it should not be a barrier to employment. More legislation may be coming to clarify medical cannabis for first responders the council voted to accept the new policy for emergency dispatchers who do not carry guns. So I feel that the one-year ban on exercise of Second Amendment rights by law enforcement officers is ludicrous. Federal law does prohibit users and so-called addicts from possessing or utilizing scheduled one controlled substances, such as cannabis, while possessing firearms. But the constitutionality of this legislation under the new interpretation uh, of the Supreme Court of the Second Amendment has yet to be determined. This one-year time frame is arbitrary. Past cannabis use is practically undetectable after 60 days, so why should honest cadets who admit to use a year ago be punished for their honesty? The headline is New Cannabis Guidelines Issued for Utah Police Cadets. This is Omar Figueroa, lawyer, author, and Gangier instructor reporting from Sonoma County for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
9: Yeah, thank you for that, Omar. I was going to ask, what? how did they come up with this one-year <laughs>
6: limitation? It, it's so honest. unrealistic. Only the honest cadets are going to be yeah. punished by this.
11: You know, like in the military, they were like, just don't be honest. And that's how you get some of the recruits you get, but, though. But
1: don't you think it's pretty progressive considering it's Utah cops?
6: I think that they can't find enough qualified candidates, so they're, you know, in their mind, loosening their standards, but really modernizing and updating them just because, you know, most people are curious over cannabis. It's a superior substance to alcohol in every way, in my opinion. And so there's no question that lots of people are curious about it. Sean?
11: This is the one thing Texas got right, because we have, we, Texas made a new ruling for Second Amendment rights last year when Governor Abbott was just defying everybody, and it protected, basically, if you're a veteran law enforcement or whatever, it protected your rights for Second Amendment, and even if you consume cannabis in the state of Texas, which you would think we would have been the last to do it.
5: Well, thank you
8: so much.
2: That headline, that was uh, very interesting, Omar. Um, super uh, interested to see how this actually affects Utah big picture. Um, and I'm actually really more interested to see what the church thinks about it. Uh, and up next, we have Gretchen Gailey. Gretchen's a Washington insider and the founder of Panoptic Strategies. What do you have for us today, Happy Gretchen?
1: Clubhouse birthday, Gretchen.
7: Yay, I love being a Clubhouse twin with uh, Christopher Smith. Feels good being good company. Um, today, my headline is coming from Marijuana Moment, um, and I have some numbers here to back up all the times that I say that pot makes money, and so lawmakers should care. Uh, the headline is, states have collected more than $10 billion in adult-use marijuana tax revenue, report fines. States that have legalized marijuana have collectively garnered more than $10 billion in cannabis tax revenue since the first legal sales started in 2014, according to a report released by the Marijuana Policy Project. The adult use legalization movement that started in Colorado and Washington State has greatly expanded in the years since, with 18 states having moved to end prohibition and most taxing and regulating marijuana sales. As of December 2021, sales have translated into about $10.4 billion in tax revenue for states that are now using those dollars to fund various programs and initiatives. That doesn't even include tax revenue from separate medical cannabis programs that are in place in a majority of U.S. states. Uh, The report from MPP, which expands on an earlier analysis it released in May, breaks down revenue numbers from legal states, how those tax dollars are being used, and what kinds of tax schemes will soon be in effect as more states like New York, New Jersey, and Montana implement legalization. The report says states that have legalized cannabis for adult use are reaping significant economic benefits. The legal adult use cannabis industry has now generated over $10 billion in new tax revenue, and in many instances, that. Revenue is being distributed to much-needed public services and programs, including reinvesting in communities that were devastated by the war on drugs, uh, according to Karen O'Keefe, who is their director of state policies. She said this is in stark contrast to prohibition, which costs taxpayers billions of dollars each year to enforce. While marijuana tax revenue might not be a panacea for state and local governments, it's clear that many of the dollars derived from these regulated markets are supporting important initiatives. Um, MPP offered up several examples for us. Uh, in Alaska, half the revenue from adult-use cannabis sales is invested in the Recidivism Reduction Fund and supports re-entry programs for currently and formerly incarcerated individuals. Uh, More than $100 million has been distributed to community groups and local nonprofit programs that benefit people adversely impacted by punitive drug laws in California. In California, they also announced in June that is awarding about $29 million in grant funds by marijuana tax revenue to 58 nonprofit organizations with the intent of righting the wrongs of the use of the war on drugs. The state collected about $817 million in adult use marijuana tax revenue during the 2021 fiscal year. State officials estimated that last year. That's 55% more cannabis earnings for state coffers than was generated in the prior fiscal year. Nearly 500 million of cannabis tax revenue in Colorado has supported the state's public school system. Yada, yada goes on and on about a couple more states. Uh, But the point is that cannabis does raise money. People should care. This will help your state. Lawmakers, pay attention. This is Gretchen from State Academy's News
1: of Yeah, get this article to your lawmakers, everybody. Yeah, I don't know. I have a, I mean, I, you know, I have
9: mixed feelings about it. Because yes, it raises a lot of money. But do we want them addicted to that revenue so that we can never back it down? We're having a, a problem with how we sold it in California with unlimited revenues. And so we need to, we need to be really realistic in how we approach how much money it can make. just my two cents.
1: Absolutely, Laura. I 100% agree with you.
10: I agree, Laura. It gives them no incentive to legalize at all. They Just take the money and say, sorry, see you later. They don't have any incentive to change. All right. Now, closing closing this out for the day,
3: she's a retired combat documentary journalist and mindset coach amplifying unheard voices in the cannabis community. Sean Salvaje, bring us home. What you got for us?
11: What's up guys? Uh, Today I have an interesting story. Um, So there's been a couple of different kinds of acquisitions here in Texas. We had Fluence that was acquired uh, by a Dutch company uh, out of Austin. And now we have Texas A&M AgriLife partnering uh, with new people to achieve stable transformation in industrial hemp. So what there's... Hey, long story short, lots of changes happening in Texas, lots of mergers and acquisitions. And one thing that we have is This new technology that Texas A&M says that they're bringing forward called AgriLife to transform industrial hemp. So what they're saying is they have found a way to completely remove Delta 9 THC from industrial hemp. Can anyone hear her? No. It's not oh, okay. working? It is, yes. Hello, it's you're back, you're back.
5: What Just a tip.
3: I,
7: bring it home, Sean. <laughs> bring
11: it home, Sean. <laughs> the reason why I wanted to do the Thanks, story, man. why I got my eyebrows raised, and I highly encourage you to check it out, is because we talk a lot about uh, the pollination, industrial hemp, cannabis, delta-9, and hot hemp, what does it all mean, bringing the two industries together. And I wanted to see what everybody had to say about that. So we have one minute left. And I'm going to be quiet since I am jumping in and out of the
1: matrix. We have a few seconds if anyone wants to weigh in. I just want to see a picture of Sean
0: with her eyebrow raised.
1: (laughs) I think that's my only picture, isn't it?
11: (laughs) Saying this new technology, if you read this article, this new technology that Texas A&M has figured out how to completely eliminate Delta 9 THC from industrial hemp. So it's definitely worth investigating.
1: We've got several audience members with their hands up, but uh, you know maybe we get a room on this. We have reached the top of the hour. We've reached the end of the week of the first week of 2022. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure you catch the replay or find us anywhere you get your big your your podcasts. Thank you so much to all of the correspondents for digging through the headlines and bringing us just what we need to know. Thank. Thank you, Nicole and Rico for co-producing the show with me, and thank you audience for making the State of Cannabis News Hour the stickiest show here on Clubhouse.
0: Rest in rest
3: in peace, Sydney Poitier.
0: You've been tuned in oh. to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward. Are you fucking serious? In a sustainable way. I had
6: no
5: idea.
0: Start yep. your morning on Amen. a high What a what a legend! What a legend! Nine a.m. Pacific this Time is for, you. for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Your such
5: daily a gift, dose. such a gift.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to end with uh, the State of Idaho theme song. I think you're going to love it. Rest in peace. You ready? Sing along if you know the words. Oh shoot. Damn you, you YouTube It was
8: just a tip. <laughs> <laughs> this, is <great. laughs> this is a freaky Friday <laughs> experience
11: today.
10: You've heard of the wonders our land does possess. It's beautiful valleys and hills Does this
1: make you want to move to Idaho?
10: The where nature I don't have enough canned goods yeah. to move to Idaho
1: uh,
10: I just want to know uh, who's swaying from
0: right I was! How did you know?
10: I think
1: I can tell It's <laughs> an anagram dance party
10: Buster, <laughs> move, Susan
1: in the sunlight I'm not gonna bust my hip. <laughs>
3: Hoverboards for everybody.
1: Hoverboards I go. I did, I've got a used hoverboard, very used hoverboard for sale. It's on Facebook Marketplace. You might be able to get it. So so what, Nicole? You know, actually, I might hang on to it. It might, uh, you know, have some sentimental value someday.
7: I think
1: That's a great idea for our next fundraiser. Yes. Thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend. Say goodbye, Rico.
10: Goodbye.